Amen. Well, good morning again. Welcome. So glad that you're here. My name is Nathan. I'm a campus pastor here. It's good to, good to be together. Good to continue uh, this time of, of worship and this time uh, studying uh, in the gospel of Matthew. Let me, let me pray for us, ask for God's help, and we'll, we'll jump in. God, we are, um, God, we are desperate, needy people. And we, we need to hear from you. We need to hear from the one who made us and who calls us to himself. And so God, we pray that as we look at your ancient word, would it continue to speak? And God, may your, your spirit um, convict and challenge us as well as bring us comfort and encouragement. God, would you, would you tear down the foundations in our life that are often so flimsy and give us something better to build on? We anticipate that you'll do that work in us this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen. The storm is coming. Winter is coming. Darkness, it is coming. I know, so melodramatic, right? We've already missed an hour of sleep and do we have to start like that? Um, but you know, you, you know I'm right though, right? Uh, you, can, you can feel it in your bones. The ground will shake. The winds will thrash. The waters will rise. The storm is coming. Sooner or later, one way or another, in a world as broken as ours, and it will strip you bare. Now, if you have enough money, you might be able to make repairs after it. If you have the right doctors, lawyers, teachers, therapists, friends, then maybe, maybe you'll be able to withstand it for a while. But eventually, I don't care who you are, those things run out. And what then? You will stand before God and the storm will rage like no other. And what will keep you from falling? Now, I think we all probably know that when you're building a house, buying a house, how important the foundation is, right? I mean, like, so it's got an open floor plan and you, you love the kitchen, but really the question is like, where is this, where is this thing built and what's, what's going to keep it from crashing down? Now, it's certainly fun living in this community. At least I, th I think it's fun. It's, it's a privilege for us as a church because, I mean, literally in every direction from this building, there are new homes, and frankly, new neighborhoods being built all around us. Um, and many of you, as a result, you've experienced what that's like. You know the incredible expertise and care that goes into laying the foundation. It's because they know there's a storm coming. And so there's all these, you know, codes and regulations around it. Nobody ever tells an engineer or an architect to just follow their heart, right? <laughs> just, just be true to yourself. Nobody ever says that. Like if you walk into a construction site and you overhear the foreman singing, no right, no wrong, no rules for me, <laughs> get out, right? Because that sucker's coming down. Nobody does that. We, we, we know how perilous these things are. And yet when it comes to building our actual lives, you're building your life somewhere. Everybody's building on something. 
Now, whether you're a Christian or not, right? Um, your lifestyle, your, your hopes, your dreams. It could be how you define happiness or, or safety or, or security. Your goals for, for your family or for, for work. Where are you building? Because truth be told, most of you look pretty good right now, even with an hour less of sleep. You're doing okay, most of you, right? Um, we're, we're able to sort of, you know, fit the role, look the part. But when the storm comes and your foundations are all laid bare, what then? What will keep you from falling? So this morning, as, as Jesus wraps up this most famous sermon of his, the Sermon, of, sermon on the Mount, we've been studying the Gospel of Matthew for quite some time. Um, as he wraps this up, Jesus knows, right? Everybody's building on something. And, and what he says, I mean, it's, what he says is truly shocking. I mean, if, if you allow it to be, if you, if you listen to it in its, in its context, I mean, he's really saying there's just two options here. There's, there's two foundations, two things that you can build your, your life on. There's him and there's, there's not him. And that's it. And he shows us in this incredible metaphor, I mean, Jesus is so brilliant in the way that he wraps up this sermon. He shows us that the right foundation is unseen. The right foundation is indestructible. And ultimately the right foundation is him, is Jesus himself. So where will you build? Well, let's hear these words together. It's in Matthew chapter seven. Verses 24 to 29. Why don't you stand with me as we often do for the reading of God's word. So again, just to place the context, right? This is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you've been here at all this, this winter, this is the ninth and final sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. It's one sermon for Jesus. It just took us nine weeks to get through. <laughs> My bad. But listen to how he wraps it up. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And then Matthew adds, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Everybody's building on something. But the right foundation, the right foundation is, is unseen. It, it's, it's, hidden, it's hidden away. It's easy, it's easy to miss. I mean, general, generally speaking, right, you can compare two houses. That's kind of what Jesus is doing with his metaphor. That maybe they both look the same. Maybe they both look awesome, right, to, to look at them. But it's what you don't see that matters the most, right? And really, I mean, if, if you've been following along in the Sermon on the Mount, this shouldn't surprise us, right? This is what Jesus has been saying over and over and over again, that life with him isn't about playing the part because anybody can fake it for a while, at least, at least for a while. Jesus says that's, that's hypocrisy and he has, he has no room for hypocrites. For him, what he's talking about, this, 
This is about what's unseen. It's the, it's the foundation, the bedrock. And the one who obeys Jesus' words, he says, his life is built on the rock. And the alternative? Well, my wife, uh, Kelly, she's from Florida. So we try to go back about once a year to, to visit her family there. And um, Maybe you've heard about these. Florida has this like ongoing problem with sinkholes. Are you familiar with this? That's pretty amazing, right? And sort of terrifying. But essentially, I mean, Florida, if you don't know much about it, like the, the ground is mostly just like sand, right? The entire state, right? This long peninsula. And, and the water levels are super, super high, right? They don't build any basements there because if you do, you'll like just about hit water. Um, and so what happens then as a result of this is that occasionally, like this semi-regular problem, uh, this happens, right? On a semi-regular basis, but you know what? The master bathroom is lovely, okay? <laughs> I mean, nobody says that, right? I mean, nobody cares about how great the amenities are as the earth literally begins to swallow up your house, right? Nobody. And, and the scariest part about it is like, you could buy that house six months earlier and swear that everything's just fine. Right? I mean, insurance companies freak out about these things because it's like everything looks perfect. Everything is great. And yet when that happens, you know, out of nowhere, smashed to the ground, nobody anymore cares what it looks like. All you care when that happens is what, what it was built upon. And yet somehow I convince myself that as long as I keep up appearances, as long as I put on a fresh coat of paint, do a few good works here and there, say all the right things, avoid the really big and nasty sins, right? Those kinds of things. Then maybe, maybe nobody will notice. Heck, maybe then even I'll forget that I'm building on nothing. If we've learned anything from the Sermon on the Mount, I mean, honestly, two big takeaways, right? First, it's that we're way more sinful than we think we are. I mean, you just can't miss that from, from Jesus. We're, we're way more sinful than we think we are. I mean, that anger is murder. Lust is adultery. Enemies are to be loved. Treasures are to be in heaven. Worry is to be eliminated. That's just a few of the things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount. And the second, the second big takeaway is that we're hypocrites. Every one of us, right? Christian or not, we can't even live up to our own standards. Certainly not his can't even live up to our own standards. And so we obsessively try to manage our own PR, don't we? Nobody's life looks as good as it does on Facebook. And for some of us, some of us never look happier than we try to look when we walk through these doors. Got to play the part. Got to look like I'm supposed to look, right? Your house looks great. Good for you. but the storm is coming. Beware of looking the part. Building an awesome house with no foundation. There is nothing more dangerous for your soul. Nothing. No sin more perilous. I mean, you, you name it, this is worse. I mean, this is why Jesus gets so ticked off at the religious leaders. Like we'll see this over and over in Matthew, right? They just cannot get along because not only have they fooled everyone else, 
like the religious, like the hypocrite, like the Pharisees, you know. They fooled everyone. They've even fooled themselves. And if you believe that you're good enough, then why would you ever possibly need a savior? Somebody to come and die for your sins, right? Really? And it's not that behavior or appearance doesn't matter. Of course it does. But it always begins. It has to begin with what's unseen. The foundation. So how often do you pretend? I mean, do you even know when you do it, right? I mean, I'm convinced we're such expert pretenders, we probably don't even realize half the time that we do it, right? We just become that other person, right? Uh, so are you, are you any different at work than you are at home? Like who, who, you, who you are, right? What about at, at school versus when you walk into youth group? What happens in your life when no one's looking? When you're convinced that nobody's going to notice? What about when you walk through these doors or sit down at your community group? Which you shows up? Your house looks great. Pat yourself on the back. But the storm is coming. And when the storm hits, only the right foundation is indestructible. Everybody's building on something, but only one place, only one foundation. That's it. That's, I mean, according to Jesus, only one place actually lasts. It's clear in the metaphor, right? I mean, Jesus is both brilliant, but at the same time, incredibly simple in, in what he says here, isn't, isn't he? There's two options, and they're both so obvious, sand and rock, right? The sand is for fools. That's what Jesus says. That house, that one's going to fall. The rock is for the wise, and no matter the storm, that house, that one keeps standing. Kind of reminds me, we were in Florida visiting Kelly's family uh, in January. Of course, whenever we're there, we, you know, we spend as much time as, as, at the beach as we possibly can, right? I mean, we're not idiots. It's like if we're there, we're not really, I mean, the in-laws, but... We're really there to go to the beach, okay? And I don't think they listen to the podcast. I'm not sure. So, sorry, Marsha, um, if, if you're listening. I'm really, really sorry, Kelly. That's, that's really what it is. Um, but we were there. We were on the beach. And, you know, David, he is eight. And he is like our, he's our master builder. Like, he's our little architect. He loves building anything and everything. And he spent hours one day on the beach building this incredible structure. I mean, they could get in it and play, and it's huge. And he had the express purpose. I mean, he said, Dad, this one is going to withstand the tide, right? And that, that's, that was his, he designed it, everything possibly, thought through every possible way. And it was really, I mean, super amusing to watch, right? Because nothing withstands the tide, right? Nothing made out of sand anyway. There's no possible way. And what Jesus says, right, the rock, of course, is him. That's kind of the more obvious part of the metaphor, although we'll get to that in a second. But the sand, well, the sand is everything else. Anything else. I mean, it's not even that it's just like bad things, right? In fact, often in our lives, we're, we build on, on good things, really good things. It's not that they're bad things. They're just destructible things. They're just things that don't last, that wear out, that cause more problem, that, that can collapse in a moment. That's what we tend to build our lives on. So for example, if you're building on family, man, that, that is a huge temptation for me, probably for many of us in this room. If, if that's what you're building your life on, when family is good, it's great. 
But if they are your foundation, what will you do if you can't have kids? Or you, or you, you never get married? What, what will you do if, you know, they, they grow up and they just, they don't, they don't like you, right? Or they make really terrible choices. What happens if they get sick? Like really sick. What if, what if your spouse cheats? Then what? And I, I am not for a moment minimizing how terrible, the, I mean, these are the things that keep me awake at night, right? What a dark storm any one of those things would be upon us. But if, if that's your foundation, you won't just weep, you'll curse God. If that's what you're building your life on, you won't just agonize, you'll despair. And it will collapse. I mean, if it's money, right? Who doesn't build on money? If it's money, when things are good, it's good, right? And yet when the markets get a little bit out of whack and they keep you awake at night. Or, or the thought of being passed over for a promotion, it's not just, not just upsetting, it's, it's defeating, it's, it sucks part of, your, part of your life away, right? Or maybe even if you're, if you're really honest, the reason you're not a very generous person is because you're just afraid. And you keep building and building and building because you, you've got to have that safety, right? What if you lost everything? That happens. What then? It's not just going to hurt, it's going to crush you. If that's what you're building on. What? What'll be left of your house then? What if, what if it's your reputation? That's an easy one, right? Being liked, who doesn't want to be liked, loved, respected, all of those things. But if that's where you're building, even the slightest insult will overwhelm you. Every rejection kills you. It feels like death. And a def- difficult relationship, it doesn't just hurt, it makes you angry and you obsess over how to, how to make the most of your, your own PR department, right? Another big one for me, man, this is a big one for me, Happiness. I mean, who here isn't somehow building a foundation on happiness? As long as I get my way, as long as I can be safe and comfortable and nobody, nobody gets it. I mean, what a house of cards that is, right? Because anything in a second can take it away. What if I get sick? Or again, what, I, what are my kids? What, what if something happens, somebody gets hurt? What, frankly, what if somebody just gets in my way or tells me I can't do something? What if Kelly stops making me happy? Or my job? What, I mean, what, what then, right? Happiness, come on. It's gone in a second by the slightest things. Now, what else would you add to the list here? How smart I think I am or beautiful or talented. My, my sexuality, my security, my rights, power, success, romantic love. You name it, we can build on it. Brick after brick on shifting sand. And you know what scares me most? And I mean this, like this, this scares me is that we so often have no idea where it is we're building until the storm hits. And by then it might just be too late. Please, if you, if you do anything in response to our time together this morning, I mean anything at all, at the very least, I hope it's, I hope it's this, assess where it is you've been building. Take a good, hard, long look. Where, where am I building like, what am I valuing? What, what, what is it my life should demonstrate that I, that I love, that I, that I care for? And what are the implications of building there? And what, what is it that's going to take to blow it all away? 
What will destroy it? I mean, look for the symptoms. Right? Typically in a bad foundation, there's, there's symptoms, right? There's a crack in the floor, the ceiling, the walls. And if you can't shake your lust or your greed or your anger or your fear, maybe it's selfishness, unforgiveness, and you're, you're tearing your marriage apart. And I mean, every, every sin is a symptom. Every time you say, I can't or I won't obey Jesus, it's a symptom of a greater problem, right? It's a crack in the foundation. What are those symptoms telling you? Where are you building? Let me just add in here too, make sure you have somebody that you can ask to look into your life because we so often can't see it in ourselves. Ask the people close to you, where do you see me building? Because, because here's the thing, every, every other one of these foundations I mean, they're going to die, right? I mean, there's, there's just no way around it. They, they, they can't last. They, they will not last. No matter what else it is you happen to build on, it will be taken at some point. I mean, even just think of it, think of it this way for a moment. Let's just say, for sake of argument, what if you actually did get everything you ever wanted ever and the storms of life just happened to pass over you for your entire 80 years? I mean, it's a fantasy world, Right? We know that. I mean, we think we can actually achieve it, right? We're, we're naive enough to believe that we can actually es- escape this life unscathed. But let's just say for the sake of Mark, what if you did get everything? There's still one storm coming. One that nobody escapes ever, right? And that's, that's really the storm that Jesus is talking about. It's the, it's the storm of, of death, right? Not only do these imitation foundations have no power to withstand the regular onslaught of these storms of life, What withstands the storm of death? Nothing. No one. Everything else is, falls apart, collapses, shakes. The ultimate storm is that you and I will stand before a holy God stripped bare. Foundations exposed, nothing left to hide and no way left to fake it. And then what? No foundation withstands death, none. None save one. Jesus. This is is why he came. He entered into this this broken world, right? Taking this this hard path so that he could, so that he could be stripped bare in the place of all who would believe. So the, the punishment that God had for me Right? Because I have, I have broken God's way at every turn. All of that poured out upon Jesus instead. And then he walks out of death. Alive. Victorious over the grave. And if, if that's what he's done, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And if, if our foundation is that indestructible, where even death cannot overcome it, where even, even the powers of darkness, all that is evil and broken in our world, even that could not keep him down. If, if that is our foundation, people, what do we have left to fear? Everything else crumbles, but this, what do we have left to fear? It reminds me, story I just finished reading 
uh, to my kids. We love to read books together as a family. Um, love it. And we just finished reading the, the book Coraline. Maybe read it or seen the movie. Um, super creepy. Um, but so, so good, right? It's, it's about this girl, Coraline. She's young and she kind of gets trapped in this parallel universe in her, her false other mother she got it. That's like the best villain name, right? Other mother. That's all she's referred to. She has these long spindly fingers and the, these black shiny button eyes. I mean, these, these are the kind of things I like to read my kids. Um, <laughs> they're eight and seven. They never have nightmares. Um, but it's, it's the ultimate good versus evil story as so many stories are, right? And of course, Coralid wins. And, and I love, as we were reading it uh, this past week, just kind of wrapping it up, she had just defeated the other mother like this symbol for all that's terrible and broken. And she gets into bed and she's, she's ready to drift off to sleep. Uh, she starts school the next day. And listen to what the narrator tells us. Normally, on the night before the first day of term, Coraline was apprehensive and nervous. But she realized there was nothing left that could scare her anymore. Sure, life still has storms, right? And they're still coming for you, for me. And we can't stop them, right? I mean, we can prepare and do our best, but at the end of the day, many of them are still coming. And yet with death stripped of its power, sin and evil defeated, firm on this foundation, which leads to the last thing here, the right foundation, it's Jesus, right? That's it, period. I mean, there's only, there's only two choices. There's him and there's not him. That, that's it. That, that's, all, that's all he gives us. And if we miss him, he's saying we miss everything. Making this, really, if you think about it, this is one of the most controversial things Jesus would ever say. I mean, statements like this that would get him killed, right? This is why they killed him. And it's easy maybe for us or for some of you to say, well, Jesus, he's just a good teacher, right? And we just want to listen to his teachings and all that. But if this is the kind of things he taught, but couldn't back them up, like by being something more than just, I mean, he's the most arrogant, self-centered person on the face of the planet, right? Who says this? What teacher, what good teacher says this about themselves? There's me and there's not me. And that's it. There's Jesus and then there's every other religion, philosophy, worldview, tradition, and stuff that we build on. And Jesus says the good life is here and it's only here. But this, this is where you find it. It's no wonder Matthew, and I love how Matthew concludes this section, right? The Sermon on the Mount. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. I mean, jaw dropped. They just didn't have a cat. They're like, who is this guy? For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Matthew, he's going to show us, even in the next chapter, the next story. And we'll talk about this next week and in, into this whole next section that not only does Jesus say these incredibly, incredibly, like, over-the-top, ridiculous things, frankly, if he doesn't have the authority to back him up, but Jesus does amazing, that he is a Messiah to back up this authority with, with divine power and miraculous healings and, and all of these kinds of things. That's where, that's where Matthew takes us next. And so Jesus says, build your life here instead. Build it on me. Do whatever you have to do to get me. Matt, that's really, at the end of it, do whatever you have to do to get me. I'm the only foundation that lasts, he's saying. And, and let me even just tell you, Jesus, I mean, it's, you probably know this, right? We've said this before. Jesus, he doesn't want to just do like a simple remodel job. 
right? We've talked about, Lewis talks about this, this metaphor. That we may invite him in because we just, we need a little paint, right? Uh, we need the carpets cleaned. And Jesus, he'll come in if you invite him to do that. But he wants a whole lot more, right? That Jesus, he didn't come to make good people better. We sometimes think that, don't we? He didn't come simply to give us a few more rules or to inspire us all to be a little bit nicer. And I'm not minimizing how important that is. He came to rebuild everything, to tear down our walls. I mean, to, to redo our foundations. And you better believe it's going to hurt, but he intends to make a palace out of us. A palace that even death cannot shake. And what does it look like to build on his foundation? It begins with faith, dependence, trust, of course. Only faith can save us. There's nothing, nothing that we can possibly do to earn it. But faith, faith always changes us. I mean, that's, that's obviously what Jesus says, right? Let's see, where is he? He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and then like thinks about them, like prays about them a little bit, studies them, memorizes them, even believes them, right? That's the one who does them, Jesus says. Obedience. I mean, Jesus, get your mind around this for a second, right? I'm trying to myself. Um, Jesus wants us to trust him enough to obey him. Like that, that level of, of dependence that we actually, we actually do what he says. Faith comes first, but it never comes alone. Maybe you've heard of uh, the five love languages. You've heard of this, right? There's like these five primary ways that we give and receive love and you have to know each other's language to be able to give and receive love of one another, right? It's pretty simple. Um, well, Jesus definitely has a love language. Um, and he tells us what it is. In, in John, for example, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's his love language. It's obedience. But you know, here's what we Christians tend to do. And I'm absolutely putting myself in that, that category. Francis Chan uh, describes it a little bit like this, that if Jesus says to do something, most of us Christians, we interpret it more of a, well, we need to study about it, think about it, pray about it, maybe memorize it. But I mean, God forbid, not actually do something, right? I, I mean, he, give, he gives this example, like imagine, for example, like if you went to, parents, if you, if you went to your kids, or maybe kids, fun experiment at home, just try this. You can blame me when it goes terribly wrong. Um, but imagine, like, if you said to your kids, hey, uh, son, clean your room. And he disappears, comes back an hour later with a self-satisfied look on the face. Dad, I did it. I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, son, clean your room, right? Hey, in fact, later on, Dad, uh, some friends are going to come over, a little small group I've developed. We're going we're gonna to study what it means to, to clean my room. What it would look like if we did this. We'll pray about it. We'll talk about it. We'll build our lives upon it. And at this point, right, I mean, it's obvious. What parent in the, just clean your room, right? I mean, you just, and yet, how often have I done the exact same thing? We will jump around from Bible study to Bible study. Bible studies are good. Study your Bible. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll be in small groups. We'll come to church on Sundays. We will hear it. We will memorize it, like if you're really spiritual, right? We'll do all these kinds of things. But at the end of the day, what Jesus really wants, he's just like, would you just do what I tell you to do? Like, just, just obey me, right? Just actually, actually do it. But here's the thing, and please don't miss this. 
Because I know the thought of obedience is just obeying this guy, Jesus, right? It's, it's pretty hard. It's pretty shocking. But listen, it's not arbitrary, nor is it capricious. That if, if this is, is who Jesus is, who he, who he claims to be and what he comes for, then obedience is just better. It's not a punishment, right? It's, it's not like second best. It, building here is just better. Jesus' main point in this metaphor, it's not, if you don't build here, I'm gonna come and punish you, right? His main point is that if you don't build here, your life is just gonna crumble. Because anything else, none of it, something is gonna take it away. Something, something is gonna steal whatever you've been building on. Something, at the very least, death is gonna take it from you. The cost of following Jesus is high. Really high, right? And obedience, right? It's difficult. In fact, it's extreme. But the cost of building on anything else is absolutely catastrophic. It's, it's disaster. It, it, it's the end. It just, it, there's nothing left because you will, you will end up crushed under the weight of your own house at the bottom of some sinkhole. We don't just obey for him. We obey for us because he knows how we were created to live. He knows what it means to be human. He's the only one who actually lived a fully human life, free from sin, obedient to his father at every turn. None of us have done that. He knows that the best life is a generous life. He knows that, that sex is, is best in the covenant of, of intimacy, right? A committed, intimate relationship. He knows that, that human success and approval, none of, none of that will ultimately fulfill you. You know that, right? It's, it's not, it's not going to be enough. He knows that we will be restless until we find our rest in him. And if you don't believe Jesus, I mean, he gives you that right, doesn't he? I mean, we can turn away from this and reject it and we can continue to build on whatever, whatever it is you're building on. But the storm is coming. Darkness is coming and what then? Everybody's building on something. What will be left for you to stand on? Friends, please don't wait till the storm. When I first met Kristen, it was last December. Uh, she'd only been uh, attending here maybe three or four weeks at the most. Um, met, her, met her in our offices downstairs. We spent a little time getting to know one another. And by, by her own confession, she was here because the storms had destroyed everything else. Everything. In fact, she, she told us a lot of her story that it, it had even happened before, like, like too many times, but this time she knew. She just, she couldn't go back. She had a foundation problem and she didn't want to build in the same place again because it had only led her to disaster. And so it was time, it was time to build fresh. Let's watch. To tell you my story without all the gritty details, just imagine my life as a house. I've had my house destroyed in the past many times. Each time there were warnings, I ignored them. I thought I could control the situation myself. And once my house was destroyed, I would rebuild. 
I'd use my existing foundation because I had built it and believed it was strong. I'd use the same old pieces of wood and nails to build my home, always better than the last time and always a nice fresh coat of paint. But on November 3rd, I came home to a hole. My house was just gone. No warnings, no foundation to rebuild on. I wanted to climb to that hole and die. But Jesus sent my family to tell me I was strong. And I was called to church that following Sunday. I didn't know what I expected, but I got something I never imagined. Her heart for helping others and loving on others, it's just unending. And it just, I see Christ in her all the time. I'd really like to just say we, um, your mom and I are very proud of you. We've got to see her. is the Son of God, and, that, and do you accept Him as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Jesus is my Savior that died for my sins. And why would you like to be baptized today? To show people that I put my faith in Jesus. Well, because of the way Christ is at work in your life, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Ben. Who is Jesus? Uh, Jesus is God's son. Um, he dedicated his life uh, to a perfect life so that I may defeat death. And why do you want to be baptized today? I want to be baptized as a dedication to, to Christ and that I can follow in his footsteps. Um, and Izzy, can you tell us why you want to be baptized? Um, because I want to be with God more. Thanks so much, Ellie. Well, on the basis of that profession of faith, I baptize you in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the likeness of Christ's death. Raise a new life. I'm tired of living selfishly and ready to devote my life to Christ. Awesome. Well, Casey, on the basis of your profession of faith in Jesus, um, I baptize you in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the of Christ's death, Jesus' new life. Personally, I just feel like I've kind of lived with one foot in and one foot out, and I'm just ready to fully commit to what God has for us and to fully commit to raising our kiddos in His ways. Awesome. Okay, we'll stand the first Okay, ready? the next step in our faith journey and we love Jesus and we'd like to live like he would like us to. Awesome. I want to be baptized because I love Jesus and I want to take this next step in faith and Steph's story is an amazing one of coming to faith in Jesus. And so we're um, on the basis of your profession of faith as we've talked, I want to baptize you today. So um, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the likeness of Christ's death. Praise to life. We baptize you in the Father, the 
Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of Christ's death. Praise to you, life.